Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up. Manager Voltron, Lara Hogan, knows some things about high-performing engineering teams. Following roles as engineering director at Etsy and VPE at Kickstarter, she founded Wherewithal to run workshops, trainings, and coaching on delivering great feedback, setting clear expectations, and balancing mentoring, coaching, and sponsoring, all critical skills for anyone rising through the engineering ranks. In this episode, I talk with Lara about the surprisingly human emotions that crop up during management practice and how to know if you really want that promotion from developer to manager. Hello, great to have you on. Hi, thank you. It is super to be here. So could you give a, just a two or three minute kind of background story of yourself and your work, you know, so the audience can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So before the current job I have now, I was the VP engineering at Kickstarter. And for that, I was an engineering director at Etsy. And along the road to get there, you know, back from when I was a baby manager all the way up to the big VPE role, um, I just, I realized how much I loved building teams and supporting emerging leaders. So when I decided to go out on my own, which is what I'm doing now, I really wanted to focus on really just the parts of those jobs that I loved the most, which is like coaching mentoring, finding opportunities for, for people to kind of grow and learn those like management and leadership skills, not just in engineering, but, you know, for tons of di disciplines, product design, anything kind of like in our industry. Um, so since uh, the beginning of 2018, I have been at Wherewithal, which is like a coaching training company geared to help support managers and leaders be better humans, <laughs> support their teams. So, okay, you know, dive into that a little bit. Like how, um, how do you coach that, you yeah. know? And, and uh, I, mean, I presume that the first thing that matters is a desire to be, you know, a better leader and manager, right? And, yeah, that's ideal. Uh, and, yeah, and it's not, this is certainly not limited to engineering, but maybe is there, you feeling like there's some catch up to do, you know, in the engineering space? Yeah, it, it's it's bananas. I mean, for me and and for many others, like there's just no, there's no training. There's no, like, you don't, when people hand you your manager hat, it's not like someone's like, and there, here's also everything that you need to know, or here's what it looks like to do it well, or like, here's how to know if you're doing a good job at the end of the day. Like there's, there's often very, very little support that companies give managers. Um, so the way I think about it, uh, it's, it's really that breakdown between those two skill sets, the mentoring skill set and the coaching skill set. So mentoring is much more about, advice giving, perspective sharing, sharing what you've seen work and not work. Like it's all about um, like what you can provide to help this person see the light or, or see see what they should do or not do. But in coaching mode, it's actually really different. Um, so where in mentoring, you're thinking about problem and solution. In coaching, you're really focused on this person who's in front of you and helping them understand kind of the shape of what they're dealing with before we even hop into problem and solution mode. So I'll, I'll ask lots of questions, hopefully open questions that will help them introspect and understand the shape of whatever it is that's going on for them before we move into like the advice giving mode. And I kind of, I go back and forth between those two hats, even, you know, not just in coaching sessions, but in like workshops I give too, because I find it's like everybody needs something a little bit different. 
Yeah, and I, I'm some familiar with the the coaching paradigms, and I know it has a lot to do with kind of facilitating them to get to their answer. You know, I the guess. place that they feel comfortable. There's a lot of uh, probably balance going on, and I, I would suspect that you talk a lot about you know areas that have absolutely nothing to do with engineering management totally. or you know, work, right? Because yeah. you know, like, hey, we're we're all um, pretend compartmentalizers, right? Oh, yeah. and, you know, we bring stuff with us. And I yelled at my scrum team today because my dog's sick. Yeah, or, exactly. You know, my, my kids were late for school this morning and I'm, I'm stressed out and I'm late for a meeting. And, you know, so do you find that maybe the, the empathy for this kind of thing has, has grown? Cause that's a hot topic across, <laughs> you know, all work, right. Is that, yeah. you know, we're just kind of not kind to ourselves. No. And, and you know, uh, yeah, we bring our whole selves to work though. You know, like we can't just, <laughs> we can't just pretend that like we're only bringing the, the business side or the technology side. Right. We, yeah, we're fully formed humans when we show up to work as much as we wish we weren't sometimes. Absolutely. So I, you know, go maybe some best practices, right? You've yeah. got, you're listening or you're, you're talking to a, a lot of engineers right now. And, you know, some think they want to be a leader and, and some are like, no, I don't want to be a leader, you know? So I don't know, like, let's talk about some best practices that have worked and, and some success stories. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, there's like no judgment from, from my point of view, if someone doesn't want to be a leader or a manager, um, you know, we could talk all day about the blog posts that have been written on the difference, but let's, instead of doing that, let's just talk about how it's cool to not want to be that. If you've got that clarity, amazing. Don't, don't try it just because you want more power or more authority. Like often those roles, they'll give you access to more information, but you know, there's lots of downsides to those things too that might not work. I also think it's really important to not talk about like moving into management or moving into some other leadership role as a promotion necessarily. I hear a lot of tech leads say, okay, I got promoted to engineering manager. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's reframe that for a second because it's actually a whole new discipline for you. Like it's, you've probably got no training, right? Which means like you're not, it wasn't a promotion. It was like a sidestep at best, or you moved into this new role and you're, you're kind of a junior again because you're a junior manager. You might have an incredible technical series of skills, but like the stuff you're going to use day to day as a manager, totally different. So, okay. So I land in that seat because I'm in one of those organizations that kind of believes in the Peter principle, yeah. you know, and I have to rise to my, my first level of incompetence before yeah. I stall out. Right. So, okay, great. I'm an engineering manager now. Yeah. Maybe I aspired to this, maybe I didn't, but you know, sometimes you just have to, right. Yeah, so right. Like, what's, what's that skill set yeah, where you, you make that, that transition because it's going to happen to yeah. your senior engineers, you know, like a whole lot. <laughs> yes. All right. So if you find yourself in this position and you're like, Oh God, what do I need? What do I need? To, what skill sets do I need to build? Um, the first one I talk about actually is that difference between mentoring and coaching skill set because so many of us default to mentoring, especially in senior tech positions. Like, you know, we'll pair, we'll give code reviews, we'll try to help unblock people. That's mentoring mode. But as a manager, it's way more important to help grow your people, and growing your people actually means coaching mode because mentoring, like, short circuits it, it doesn't help people necessarily like connect the dots for themselves. And that's what coaching does. So that's the first skill. The difference between mentoring and coaching and starting to get better at coaching. The second skill I like to highlight is dealing with surprising human emotions in others. Um, you know, we all wish that we could be rational and logical and just computers or robots. 
the tough part is that you're surrounded by humans instead. So, you know, there's a lot out there in, in figuring out how to respond, how to help people, you know, work through surprising emotions. That's number two. Number three is feedback. This is the other biggest, you know, thing that's required in order to help grow your people and support them, like making sure you're giving specific and actionable feedback to them. It's really, really hard and scary. And then the fourth one I like to touch on is how to set good expectations for your team, kind of lay that that groundwork so people um, understand what's expected of them, understand how they should be collaborating, understand what's expected of you, like how you're going to be supporting them, all that sort of thing. So those are the, probably the four, the four common skill sets that I focus on in my workshops and in coaching. And what happens uh, when you get to, a, you know, sort of a leadership or management type position, um, you know, and you're sort of saying, hey, I want to still reserve some of my time to code. I oh, love coding. Yeah, right. You know, I'm a, co- I'm a code poet. Right. And to give that up really kind of hurts yeah. my soul. I imagine that comes up a lot. Oh, I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't get to just commit any code anymore. Yeah. Um, what are... What are people supposed to do? What are organizations <laughs> supposed to do for yeah, that? I mean, what's, what's really interesting about that is a ton of organizations approach this differently. So some organizations will say, you're no longer allowed to ship. You should be 100% focused on the management stuff. Other organizations expect you to split it 50-50 or some other combination. Like they actually, they're actually explicit about like, you should still be contributing in this way. And then another subset of organizations don't give you any guidance whatsoever. And they just hope you figure it out or it didn't even occur to them that that's something that might stress you out. So depending upon the organization that you're in, you might, you know, react to this differently. Like if you've got clarity, that's amazing and a gift. If you don't have any clarity, I would say (laughs) figure out how much you need to be context switching day to day and measure your energy levels at the end of the day. That's usually my biggest guideline for people who are still trying to contribute in that same way that that felt so good, especially if you're new to management, it's going to be hard to feel like you're, you did a good job at the end of the day if you're doing 100% management stuff. But we have, you've developed that internal barometer of success by shipping code. Like, you know what productive looks like as an engineer. So lots of new managers kind of cling to that to, to feel productive still. Um, but context switching is, is where it kind of starts to fall apart. You know, if you spend an hour coding or reviewing PRs and then an hour and four hours in one-on-ones, then another hour in a strategy meeting or whatever, or if it's like really spiced up throughout the day and you're constantly context switching, that's going to be a problem mostly for your energy levels and your ability to focus and get stuff done. Um, In those situations where you're actually able to still, you know, contribute code-wise, uh, I would say try to block out some focus time whenever possible. Don't try to squeeze it in between meetings. Um, again, it's not always possible, but trying to context switch as little as possible is, is probably the best way to make that successful. And then if you're not allowed to ship any code at all, I get it. I'm sorry. Some some people love it, by the way. They love having the clarity that they're not allowed to ship anymore. Like that's a gift of like, okay, I can actually focus on developing this whole other set of skills. Other people, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. So I would suggest uh, figure out what, like what coding gives to you. Does it give you, again, that sense of productivity? Does it give you um, some creative outlet? Does it give you um, the ability to feel more, more close to the product? Like whatever it is that gives you, see if you can find that thing in a new way. Because for anything that it could give you, there might be another way to either feel productive, feel like you're closer to the product, you know, whatever it is. And I'm optimistic that you'll be able to find something. And if you don't, totally cool. Transition back. Like it's, it's, I've seen so many people successfully transition back and forth from those two disciplines. Again, it's organization dependent. Not every organization is going to support it. But like if, if it's not right for you, please know you have my permission (laughs) to switch back. How much organizational support 
do you get? Because I can imagine you coaching these things and your coachees are going, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. My leadership team doesn't get it. Yeah. You know, and so you're, you're dealing with, you know, sort of a very receptive audience that totally wants to do all that. Um, but you know, they don't come from a, an engineering based organization. Right. And so how do they train up the people uh, on top of them? Because, you know, a lot of times it's sort of, this comes out of, well, we're startup X and, or whatever, our engineering team finally got big enough that we realized we need some vertical leveling, you know, not everybody can report to the CEO or the the president. So, okay, let's add in some, some management. Um, but, but you're reporting to, you know, ultimately end of the day, like marketing and sales. Right. 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 And how do you train them? Because they don't, they don't come from this. No, of course not. So uh, in the coaching and workshops, we try to focus on things that the individuals can do themselves. But obviously, as you said, like they might, they might hit a brick wall. So when that happens, I usually start to talk about the discipline of change management. So the idea that like, there's a whole series of skill sets out there that's related to management, but not necessarily management, um, about how to change the environment that you're working in when you don't have like complete power or authority to change that environment. And there's a whole subset of research that like I am not an expert on, but I love talking about um, regards to this. My number one recommendation for people who find themselves in this position where they want to enact some change, but it's huge sweeping change, organizational change, we need to push back on some leadership is to read the book Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. That's where I learned most of the things that I know today about this, um, I refer almost every single one of my coaching clients to this because, again, like needing to change something and enact change at your organization is such you know a topic that comes up all the time. Let me up the ante now. So I'm both becoming a manager of engineers, and we're fully remote. Yeah, you know? and uh, I'm a remote contributor. Um, totally different jam, right? Because now I need to figure out my whole world is about communication and measuring productivity of people I can't see. And, uh, you know, and another thing I was like, is my organization prepared to, to scale in that way and not just leave people behind. And I don't know what everybody's doing at their desk. I mean, there's gosh, there's so much to unpack there. And yet we know that, you know, the skills of managing remote are, it's really just like this, like, hyper-focused magnifying glass on the fact that you kind of didn't know how to lead and manage anyway. (laughs) And now it's just really becoming super clear, you know, because it just shines the spotlight on that. I don't know, you know, talk about that because remote, I think it's just huge now. And it's just like, it's it's just becoming absolutely dominant. And if you can't manage a remote workforce, you're in trouble. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, And again, just like before, so much of this is organization specific. Some organizations are really equipped for remote management. They, you know, all communication happens anyway, asynchronously. Everything's documented. There's no hallway track conversations. Um, But that's not every organization, right? That's just a slim few. So if you're at an organization that's not equipped yet, Again, I'm going to come back to change management. You might need to help the organization become better holistically at thinking about remote management. Um, But my my number one recommendation here is to find uh, what's often referred to as a first team. That's a team of your peers who you can rely on. Um, See how they're approaching this problem. See what they've found works and doesn't work within this organization. Because again, so much of this is kind of context specific. Um, What are they worried about? What have they tried and failed at? just start to build up that network of support. I, I often also talk about um, first teams uh, for the first team principle, not just as first team, but um, as this concept of, of a manager Voltron, which can also be outside of your organization. So, you know, tell me, can you tell me what a Voltron is? 
Yes, go ahead. Go for I it. I can absolutely tell, tell, tell you what a Voltron is. Would you What's Would you prefer the the cartoon no, version I, or the yes? Just, yeah. So yes. I am the Voltron uh, generation. I also remember yep. GoBots, uh-huh. you know, and and Transformers. But Voltron was a, a collection of, I guess, lions, right? Robot lions, mm-hmm. and they would transform into the giant big robot that would kind of fight. Anybody in the next generation might remember the. The Power Rangers, which was a, a yep. very poor facsimile of Voltron. Voltron was <laughs> totally cooler. So. Pinnacle. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they all come together to form this like super, I mean, special, everything. It's like leveled up everything. Right. And this is what I like to think about when people are finding that network of support for themselves. Don't just rely on your one manager to help you figure out what you're supposed to do. Don't just rely on one coach. Right. Like actually form what I'm going to call a manager Voltron for yourself. Find a, a network of people that you can rely on, different kinds of experiences, different industries industries, different companies, people who are your peers, people who are, you know, more senior than you, more junior than you, find that network of support and lean on them as you grow. Again, having a coach, I need to plug this, having a coach is really helpful as one part of your Voltron. But definitely, if you find yourself, especially in a remote environment, like start to build out that network for yourself. So, okay, I'm in an organization and I, I want a coach. Of course I want a coach. Who doesn't want a coach, right? Any self-actualized, you know, person is kind of aware of this. Um, how do I get my organization to fund me having yeah, a coach? Totally. Because, you know, it's oh, just like, it's just I want right. that. Right. But you know, like there's budgets and stuff. Where do yeah. where do you usually live on the, on the budget line item spectrum? You know, what's, what's really funny is, um, I'm finding that engineering organizations usually have the professional development budget to throw at this stuff, whereas other parts of organizations don't. Um, So like an an engineering-led organization, I find that engineers and engineering managers have a little bit of an easier time using, say, their professional development budget, their conference budget for stuff like coaching. That's not always true. Um, So in those cases, I usually recommend that people try to figure out who, you know, controls the budget? And what is it that they care about the most? What's the thing that they are, are bringing their voice to all the time? Is it a company initiative? Is it uh, holding people more accountable? Is it scaling the company? Like, what is it that they talk about all the time? Try to see if you can, you know, basically transform your pitch for coaching into the thing that they care about. They're not going to already care about it. You care about it. So how can you translate the thing that you want, which is hopefully in this case, a coach, uh, into the thing that they care about. Hey, I can help hit this this uh, this business goal way faster if I have this extra level of support. Or, hey, I don't know how to hire. Can I please go hire someone that can help me learn how to hire other people? You know, whatever it is. Um, pick something that you know that they're going to care about. And hopefully that will help your pitch, you know, because they already care about that thing. Let me get like kind of philosophical right around. So we're software people, right? Our organizations, I mean, it was just like agile to the core, right? We got to be agile. And as I start to look at, you know, sort of the evolution of some of those things, there's a lot of pressure on that, um, you know, sort of, it's particularly remote because we're, we all sort of, let's face it, we're sitting in Slack and we're doing, you know, sort of all kinds of stuff where remote demands a lot of documentation. I mean, you even said the word before and um, reporting and processes and tools, right? You know, it says all the things that are on the right side of the agile manifesto yeah. are like absolutely required. And I, I find some contention there philosophically. I wonder if we're kind of like mm-hmm. evolving. Oh, say more about that. I'm not sure what you mean. Well, man, agile manifesto, right? Individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Yeah, sure. Working yeah. software over comprehensive documentation, right? So, 
all those things are absolutely <laughs> necessary things that yeah. in fact we as remote engineering organizations really need to use. Oh, and, I see what you know. You, what I'm saying yeah. like so. Yeah, totally. I find some contention there because you can't be successful remote without like an excessive amount of documentation and process. Like it just doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, but I'm, I'm hopeful that people are able to find a thing. I mean, what, it's right tool for the job, right? Like it's it's not like dogmatic about a particular process, a particular piece of software, a particular tool. Like I think that I, I'm hopeful that uh, this generation of folks that are like becoming more and more distributed are able to find the right tool for the job and hopefully able to equip the others within their organization to also find the right tool for their job too. We would all hope that, right? Yeah, fingers so, crossed. Uh, what are some of the challenges you face? You know, this is like you, you have a, a great playbook and I know it works for people, but uh, you know, so just step back right into your business. You know, you, you're, yeah. you're doing some things that uh, you have to deal with different kinds of people all the time. And, you know, it's just like, what are the challenges of, of coaching that are kind of like hard to overcome for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I got lucky in that, like a lot of people that I work with, um, you know, they know me from, from, from speaking, from books, from whatever. Um, so I haven't had this stereotypical contractor difficulty of like cold calling, you know. Um, but one of the really interesting things I've started to see is that while engineering organizations have the budget for, um, you know, hiring a coach or for bringing me in to give a workshop, usually HR doesn't. And what's happening more and more often that, that I'm seeing is that engineering organizations get uh, I don't know, tired, get get impatient with how slow their HR teams are moving to implement manager training or to implement something, some kind of level of support. So they'll call me, which is like, what an inter- like what a weird place to be. Because um, like, I don't want to steamroll HR, like that poor HR team, they're, do- they're probably doing really important things. It's not that they don't care about building out their own management processes. They're like, probably, I don't know, implementing the first ever performance review process or like developing actual job descriptions for people. Like they're doing other important things. Um, so one of the things I've had to like figure out and, and hone is how to have those conversations with a CTO, a VPE, where it's clear that they're bringing me in because they're they're getting impatient and they have the budget to do so. Um, you know, I'm having these conversations with the CTO and the VPE and, and they're clearly getting impatient. Um, and I don't want to like steamroll HR. And so I'm getting better at being like, hey, it sounds like you've got an HR team that cares. Can I talk to them first? I'm one that has spent the last, you know, five or six years in the business development function. So you're, you're understanding who can uh, who can say no and who yeah. are your influencers in the organization. And that's a huge thing. You know, it's like, you, yeah. uh, you know what else nobody learns in engineering is how to sell stuff, you know, so right, right. it's, it's well, an important thing. It's, it's actually really interesting because in these organizations, engineering, usually because they have their own budget. HR can't say no to bringing me in, which creates a really strange power dynamic, you know, especially in like an engineering-led organization. And so I want to help these CTOs. I want to help these VPEs understand like there's a healthier way to partner with your HR team and not just steamroll them with your enormous budget. <laughs> and, and to be fair, like sitting in that HR seat, you know, uh, the unfortunate nature of the, of the coaching industry is, you know, the lack of maybe rigor or, you know, it's like anybody yeah. can hang out the coach sign. Right. Yeah. And, 
you know, and just like anybody can hang out the consulting sign and there's, there's a lot of people that, that could be hired and, you know, just maybe kind of, of aren't good at what they do. And so totally. there's a credibility gap where they don't know you because they aren't watching engineering yeah. keynotes and things like right. that. Well, you know? and, and what's really interesting is I'm finding, I'm so, I'm going to apologize to all the VP, VPEs and CTOs who are listening. Um, but engineering management isn't special folks. Like we like to believe that it's this like only an engineer could possibly come in and give this like man engineering management specific training. HR knows better. It's all the same stuff. It's all how to deal with humans. Um, and so what's really interesting is watching HR hear the CTO speak or see, hear the VPE speak and be like, we need Lara Hogan because she she used to be one of us, right? And HR is like, come on, you know? So it's it's fascinating to be able to watch that dynamic and sit back and be like, sorry, folks. I, I'm here to give a good, solid manager workshop, and I, I agree with your HR team on this one. <laughs> yeah, right. I've, I've been where you've been. However, yeah. you know, that's not right. the necessary component because exactly. these are like sort of eternal truths. Yeah. And if you sent all your managers through this plan, it would mm -hmm. look the same. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, that, it's a, it's been actually a really fun dynamic for me to kind of like learn and grow and, and having those conversations and hopefully to help these CTOs understand these are some really core fundamental skills that really will equip their managers and other managers too. Well, I love what you're doing. I think this is super important work. If any of the many, many, many engineers who are listening want to learn more, what do they do? Yeah, go to wherewithall.com, W-H-E-R-E-W-I-T-H-A-L-L.com. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.